Welcome back to Our Story. My name is Matt. I'm joined with Phil Schrader and Calissa Dodderman, and we are excited to have you back with us. I'm excited about worship this Sunday, and I feel like I'm saying this every week because there's something special about every service lately, and uh, and that's a great place to be. This Sunday is World Communion Sunday. If you don't know much about that or if you haven't experienced World Communion Sunday, then you are definitely going to want to join us for one of our three outdoor services on Sunday. We are also beginning a new series called A Joyful Embrace, and we're going to begin working through Paul's letter to the Philippians. So uh, that is where we're headed. And Phil, I thought we would start uh, with explaining a little bit about where we're headed in the series. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I also am excited to talk about how we read scripture. I think this presents a unique opportunity for us. So Phil, get us started by talking about a joyful embrace, where we headed for the next few weeks. The last several weeks, I think, have been quite challenging. We've been dealing with conflict in one form or another. We've been dealing with sibling rivalry and wrestling with a text. So after our first seven or eight weeks together of struggle and wrestling, we thought it might be time to take a deep breath, a deep breath of the Holy Spirit, and to sit and to contemplate what God is doing through Paul's letter to the Philippians. The Philippian church is a church where he's had a great time. There's conflict in the Corinthians text from last week. There are struggles with many of the other churches, but there is such an intimate relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi, and they are partners in ministry. He talks about how they partner in the gospel. And so I want us to think together how we can partner in the gospel as Paul sends a letter to his people in this church that he started in Philippi, which the letter itself, even though he's in prison, he offers a joyful embrace to them by his words when he can't be present to joyfully embrace them. In this absence, he sends a letter to joyfully embrace. And I just don't think we write letters like we used to. Uh, I don't know when the last time is that you experienced a handwritten letter. You might get in a handwritten note at the end of a Hallmark card, but to get a handwritten letter, and this is the way Paul communicated with the churches that he started. And often it was in response to a struggle or some sort of trouble. But this is really just a letter of affirmation that moves toward joy. Joy is not this week. We mentioned joy this week, but there are other words that seem to jump out this week. Yeah, so I think this presents such a cool opportunity for us because essentially we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 this week and Philippians chapter 2 next week. And you can guess that the week after that is chapter 3. And then chapter four. So the opportunity that's before all of us is to work through an entire letter from Paul together as a church. So we start with chapter one. But before we jump into chapter one, this is a question that I have for both uh, you, Phil, and you, Calissa. Uh, As we come to read these words from Paul, how is it? How do we engage the Bible? How is it that we read the Bible? I think a lot of people assume that everybody knows how to read the Bible except them. right? I think a lot of us think we're the only ones who don't really know how to read the Bible. And so uh, what, what I, what I want to explore is for those who are just beginning to read Scripture for the first time or 
for those who are looking for maybe a fresh way to engage words that they've encountered many times before, how do you approach reading the Bible uh, as a as a lay person? How, how do we how do we get started? For me personally, when I'm closely looking at the text, I tend not to read the Bible. I tend to write the Bible. Not that I wrote the Bible, but <laughs> that I am. I sit down and I write out the text by hand. And the reason I write out the text by hand is that's the way it gets into me. And I talked about in, in recent sermon, uh, if you make my word your home, you'll indeed be my disciples. And for me to really make it home, I learn kinesthetically. And if I write it out, I begin to experience the text differently in a deeper manner. So in my preaching and a lot of my teaching, I will sit down before I try to interpret the text to you. I want the text to come into me. And the way that I do that is by writing it out by hand. With a pen? Or a pencil, but usually with a pen. On paper. On paper. Not on a computer. Not on a computer. How about an iPad? No, not on an iPad. It, it has to be physically on a piece of paper. And sometimes that's in a notebook. I keep a large notebook and I write it out in the notebook. But sometimes it's just on a pad of legal paper. Um, I keep a lot of tablets and I just write it out by hand. And then after I write it out by hand, it's funny how it becomes so much a part of me that uh, when I'm quoting it in my sermon, I don't remember it. I see it on the page. It's really funny that you do this because I do this too, Phil. Um, And I will sometimes even illustrate it. I mean, you guys have gotten to see a little bit of that over the last couple of months, but sometimes I'll illustrate some of the concepts or um, kind of doodle my way through scripture just because that's the way my brain works. Um, It helps me to kind of... um, spend time with words that jump out to me. You know, there are lots of different practices for reading scripture. And um, some of them, like the practice of Lectio Divina, where you read scripture, the same passage over and over again, really help you to find the words that jump out at you. And for me, that's a visual process. That's a tactile process. So yeah, I, I actually do the same thing. I, I find it really fun, actually. <laughs> the words are a visual process for me, but what I so admire in the way that you do it is it is an artistic endeavor for you. Uh, tell me how you got started with that. Oh, um, actually, it was a practice that um, some of my friends had started doing. I have, um, I am very lucky to have some very close friends who really, I think, probably could properly be called artists. Um, and... And I had seen them kind of approach the concept of illustrating scripture um, as a worship practice, but then found out some of them really do that on their own. And in fact, I don't think I'm one of the only ones. Um, Really, the kind of phenomenon of Bible journaling has really taken off in the last couple of years. And so the idea of, of using artistic practice to process scripture is not something that's unique to me. It's something that I think a lot of people are getting into. Um, it's very hot right now. You can even find No, I mean, seriously. <laughs> like adult coloring books. Yeah, yeah. You can go on Amazon right now and find like Bible journaling Bibles that are specifically illustrated. Or, yeah. I think this is fascinating. What's interesting to me is that um, neither of those approaches would ever have occurred to me. 
right? It never would have occurred to me to write down the passage. Why would I write it down? I can see it right before me or I can type it and be much faster about it. And if you wanted me to illustrate something, <laughs> I, I mean, I cannot imagine a more painful process for me. And what I, what I love about that is that it illustrates a basic tenet, I think, for reading scripture. There is not a way to do this. There is not a right way to encounter the word of God. And what I love is, is that both of you are engaging practices that are stimulating for you, right? They, they, they help you to dive deeper into the Bible. And I think one of the things that's important for people to hear is you need to do the thing that enables you or empowers you to engage these words more meaningfully, whatever that means. That can mean such a wide variety of things. For me, I, I print. I tend to, to print a passage out, double space it, uh, so that I can, um, I can underline or double underline or triple underline or circle words and draw connecting lines between this word and that word or the same word that's used over and over again because I love to see how a text is used. But by the time I finish it, it looks like a jumbled mess to somebody who's not me. But for me, I see the beauty and the connections between the words or the ideas or the you know the themes that are present there. I, I love how differently all three of us engage the same text. And although we each do that differently, we all trust the Holy Spirit to intercede between what we are seeing or illustrating or typing on the page to help us more fully interpret and as United Methodists, we don't leave that interpretation solely in the hands of one person. There is a check in the community. So that, that's the gift for me, is that it's not my interpretation of Scripture. That's not our history. Our history is, it is our collective interpretation of Scripture. I remember years ago, we took the, the concepts of Scripture as being primary tradition reason and experience from the Westling Quadrilateral. And then Bishop Wilkie drew a circle around all that and said, yes, all those things in a community. For me, though, it's not a text to be illustrated because I had a dream one time. <laughs> Seriously, I had a dream one time and God spoke to me in the dream and said, Phil, you don't need to illustrate a text. You need to animate a text. Mm. And I woke up and I began to explore what that meant. And so for me, an illustration is a two-dimensional image. But the way that you animate something is that you draw it or you create it and then you put light on it and then you spin it. Okay. And that creates movement and that's how the early animators created. And that's how God created the world. God takes out of the void, out of nothingness, and t creates the globe, spins it, throws light on it, and we are given life. So God's work in creating the world is an animating endeavor. So, Phil, I think it's a fascinating idea. Help me put legs on that. So if I'm coming to uh, Philippians chapter 1, what does it look like to animate that? How, how, how might I do that? Uh, without having been to seminary, without having uh, engaged this at, uh, at a theological level for many, many years, if I'm first coming to Scripture and wanting to engage it in a different way, 
How do I start to animate it? I call it a preparatory posture. Okay. So what I want you to do is move physically into a preparatory posture to be able to read. So what I might do is I might write this out by hand, put it in an envelope, tear open the envelope like I've just gotten a handwritten letter and read it as though the letter was addressed to me or to us. And it puts my mind in a different setting that I am reading a letter that is sent to us. Uh, maybe uh, Dr. Craddock, uh, my preaching professor, talked about how whoever decided these things in the Bible were books did us a disservice. They're not all books. And when you sit down to write a book or to read a book, you read it differently than when you sit down to read a letter. There's such excitement. There's such um, what anticipation for what a letter might mean. You see who it's addressed from. You see the return address. And that's kind of how Paul starts this letter. Paul starts with the return address. And you'll see that in ancient text. You'll see the first thing that you get is this salutation. And it's really the return address. And it's the beginning of the letter. And he says, Paul and Timothy. And Paul's not writing this one. I mean, Timothy's not writing this one out like Sosthenes was in the Corinthians. But Paul and Timothy, who later get sent to the Philippians, servants of Jesus Christ. So you know who it's from in the very beginning. I think reading it as letter is a different idea than reading it as book. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a temptation uh, for many of us who read scripture with any kind of regularity to treat the Bible like any other book, even if we have reference or reverence for it as, as holy scripture, right? Like we are taught, I think, to read in a very specific way because of the way that we are educated and the way that the written word um, has authority for us as as an educational tool, right? So if I'm going to sit down and read a book, like maybe I'm putting myself in some kind of preparatory posture, maybe I've got like a special special chair or I've got my cup of coffee and I prepare myself to read. But most of the time, you know, I'm going to kind of just read straight through. I'm going to gain as much knowledge as I can and I'm going to move on. And I think that what I'm hearing from each one of us is that's not really how we're coming to scripture, regardless of its genre. We're coming to scripture expecting to read it more than once, um, expecting to dig into it in a way that I don't dig into a morning newspaper or, you know, the novel that's sitting by my bed. It's not meant to be digested with speed. It's meant to be digested with spirit, I think. And I think that's a different reading process and one that requires us to open ourselves up, I think, a little bit more than what we might call normal reading. <laughs> what they what they taught us in seminary was a process called exegesis. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from a, a critical mindset. And when you come from a critical mindset, you often bring critique to whatever you're reading. And so you, you bring a critique. It, and study critique, same kind of word, but there's a different, there's a critical way that some people engage scripture. Exegesis is not a biblical word. It's not in the biblical text. The only word you find in the biblical text is a word diegesis when Luke uh, talks about creating a full and compelling story. 
when he says diegesis, diegetically is how you are going to look at this. And diegetically means through the story versus exegesis, which means out of the story. And I struggle with a reading of the text that takes me out of the story. So for me, animating the gospel puts me in the story. And what I try to do in preaching and teaching is to create an experience of the text. As a, and so the text is not uh, objective and something I study out here, but there's a subjective relationship between the text and myself. I would say that I think that there is occasional value in viewing scripture with a certain measure of objectivity and kind of, you know, like scholarly analysis of the Bible is not what everyone wants to do all of the time. But I think there is something to be gained from that for folks who really do like to dig in in that way. Maybe I'm speaking from a personal point of view, but um, I love being able to study in the in the classical sense as well. And so being able to draw upon other resources to learn more about, well, what kind of context is this coming out of? Um, what, you know, what actual word is being used here? What does that mean? That kind of like academic study and objective study is is helpful for me too. That actually helps me personally, to get to a place where I can animate it because I understand the context better. And I agree with the concept of academic study. I just struggle with the sense that there's any sort of objectivity. I, 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 I don't that. I don't understand that there... We were taught in seminary that you needed to be objective. And I don't know how you can be. I, I, for me, everything is somewhat subjective. My hope is to ignite some renewed interest in engaging the Bible. And I hope that kind of listening into this conversation, one of the things that you realize is there are myriad ways to approach this book that are faithful. Um, however, at the heart of it, I think the, the notion of being in the correct posture is a good place to begin. Right? Find a way that is uniquely your own, that engages your mind and your spirit and your imagination Put yourself in a place where you can engage all three of those things as you engage these words. Because these aren't just the words of another book, right? We call them the living word of God. And we believe that as we come to this text, the spirit of God meets us and transforms us. It is not the information that we learn from this that changes us. It is the encounter with the spirit that changes our hearts and transforms our lives as we seek to be the children of God that we were made to be. So I, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue this conversation and we'll introduce you to a couple different methods, I think, for reading the Bible. But I hope we've kind of piqued your interest. And so now we're going to put that into practice. And I want to look a little bit more closely at Philippians chapter one, which is the text that you're going to preach on this Sunday, Phil. So uh, I had the opportunity to read through this chapter before uh, today, and one of the things that jumps out at me immediately is there are only about 37 different sermons you could preach out of chapter one. I mean, this thing is just jam-packed full of stuff. I'm curious to know what is standing out to you and what is jumping off the page for you as you have written this text uh, and begun to engage it. I've been feeling with Paul that we are limited right now in what we are able to do. Okay. There is a sense of confinement and imprisonment for all of us right now. 
And so I've been trying to get into that feeling. Uh, hadn't been hadn't been hard because we all have been feeling that. So I've been trying to see this through the lens of an imprisoned Paul when we somewhat feel imprisoned behind our masks, behind doors, to be at such a distance from people that we love and care about. And so for me, I read this Philippians text differently than I ever have because this is the closest to feeling imprisoned I have ever felt in my life. Oh, that's such an interesting lens, Phil. So when you start reading for yourselves, when you start reading Philippians 1, one of the things you'll notice in the first few verses is that Paul is in prison while he's writing this letter, right? And so I don't know that I would have made the connection between Paul's imprisonment and our own kind of self-confinement. I think that's an interesting lens to to view this through. What what are you seeing differently this time through that lens than you've maybe have seen in the past? There's a yearning. There's such a yearning. I I had the privilege of being part of a funeral this past Saturday. Uh, it was the first funeral in our sanctuary that I was able to participate in from the front of the church. I've been at another funeral, and that was Wiley Stevens' funeral. And now the second funeral that I participated in the sanctuary was the funeral for another former pastor, Melton McNeil. And I think the only person whose hands I have physically touched that were not my wife's or my mother's since this pandemic started were Ann McNeil's hands when I got to see her for the first time and she joyfully embraced me. And what, and then I saw her daughter today and she had just delivered the her father's ashes here to the church, to the columbarium. And she said, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And I had my mask on, but I could not help but hug her. And so there, there's this, this yearning that I feel in this text this time, uh, this yearning to be together in a way that I've never felt before. I think one of the other things that comes out for me, too, is that while that yearning is really strong in Paul's writing, there is such an underlying sense of peace and hopefulness, mm. even even yes. despite that. Like, this, this is a love letter, right? Paul loves this church. He loves the church at Philippi. And, um, I mean, you just... You just see it throughout. I mean, we'll read this whole whole um, letter together. And and Paul's love for this community is palpable. And so even while he is yearning to be with them, you'll hear him reassuring them over and over again and encouraging them over and over again that this is hard, but it's not the end. This is hard, but this will work out for good for us. This is hard, but I love you. And, and we're going to get through this, um, which for me, you know, I'll, I'll reveal this about myself. I need that reassurance right now. I need that joyful embrace. This has been a hard season, but knowing that there is strength in our community and that there is hope in our community is is something that I take great solace in. And I think that's exactly the situation that Paul is experiencing here. And there's several brilliant phrases. I'm not a Greek scholar, but there's several brilliant phrases and they're written in such a way that you don't know who the subject or the object is. 
He says, because you hold me in your heart can also be translated as because I hold you in my heart. And there's a beautiful thing. You, you don't really know as you read this is it was read out loud to the community. That's the way letters were received. The letter was received and you just didn't read it by yourself. These were addressed to the community and they were supposed to be read aloud to the community. And you hear this, it is, it is justified. It is right for me to think this way about all of you. And we think that he, he may have been saying that because there were some that may not have been that happy with Paul. And so he wants to reassure them that it's about all of you because you hold me in your heart, reminding them of who they ought to be, or at the same time, because I'm holding you in my heart, even though I'm in prison. One of the things that I've thought about as I've uh, been wrestling with this text, if you will, is what is the most important word? Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. That comes up over and over again. And another thing about reading the Bible and how we read the Bible is too often as pastors, we can sometimes read the Bible as a means to an end. I'm reading the scripture so that I can get a sermon for Sunday. I'm reading this text so that I can teach the best man Bible study. And so I'm reading it to get something out of it, to have a product at the end of my reading. And there's a difference between that and devotional reading, where I read it to let the text come over me. And it's kind of like what Calissa was talking about. You read this and it brings reassurance. Yeah, it does. Um and in, in, in a way that, that isn't, you know, about pure utility, right? I think, that's, I think that's an apt thing to talk about, the kind of difference between um, reading for utility and devotional reading. And I think this is just a really, really wonderful chapter to read for devotional purposes. It's so warm. Yeah, you can, you can feel the love in it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, to that end, Calissa, in verse 9, this is what Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. Right? These are things that we're after. These are things that Paul is praying for his people to help you determine what is best. And I like that line. To help you determine what is best. Right? The knowledge and full insight. Uh, the, um, the love that's overflowing within us is to help us determine what's best. It's not for our own academic knowledge. It's not so that we will, uh, you know, have a weapon to bludgeon other people. Uh, it, it is not so that we will win the Bible trivia that nobody else is playing. The purpose of all of this is to help us to live well, right? It's help us to live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that ultimately is where this chapter ends uh, in a way. But uh, there is so much meat right here in the first 11 verses. Uh, Phil, let me ask one more question before we end our time together. Uh, if there was a, a single thing that you would invite people to consider before Sunday, what would you have people ask of themselves or ask of God in advance of worship on Sunday morning? I guess it's the little things. Uh, where have you found joy and hope in this time of confinement? Where have you found reassurance? Um, maybe one thing for people to contemplate. Uh, I just would invite people to read Philippians 1, 1 through 11 out loud. Uh, 
as it was meant to be heard and let that echo in their lives for a few days. Yeah, I, I like the idea even of doing that as a family, right? Whatever family is for you. Uh, if it's the people you live with, great. If it's the people that you're on a Zoom call with, do that. But I, I wonder about reading that out loud with a community. It, in a sense, it replicates the first uh, rece- uh, reception of this letter and is yet another way in which we can uh, hear the words of, of God coming to us. I like that. Phil, Calissa, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, looking forward to journeying through the rest of Philippians over the next few weeks. And we hope we will see all of you this Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody United Methodist Church. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday morning. This Sunday, October 4th, we'll also have outdoor worship with communion in the parking lot at 8.45 a.m. and 11.22 a.m. That's right, 11.22 a.m. You can also join us on the ball field at 6.30 p.m. We hope that you will join us and add your story to ours.